Open your Bibles to John 15. I want to start by saying I, I love you and I'm really proud of you. I mean that. Passion Creek Church, I love you and I'm proud of you. What's crazy is we've only been in this space for 12 weeks. And I think we have like literally changed the culture, the identity of Passion Creek within the last 12 weeks. I honestly can't even remember what life was like before. Anybody relate to that? Like, how did we used to do it before? We used to meet at night. What in the world? And uh, it's been an incredible journey. So February 12th, Super Bowl Sunday, we moved into this space. And again, it feels like forever ago. But right away, we started a series on the Sabbath. So for four weeks, we were talking about what does it mean to set apart a day uh, to worship the Lord, right? To keep it holy. And then for the next eight weeks, we've been kind of sharing stories here on stage of those people who are, who are single, married, retired, uh, in college. How, how are we doing practicing Sabbath together? And not only that, how many weeks ago was that? Four or five weeks ago, maybe even more. I'm so bad at math, but we had soccer camp. Anybody go to soccer camp? Raise your hand for those troopers. You even have the soccer camp shirt on today, Tim. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, And that was incredible. We actually had way more kids than we expected, so much so we literally shut down the form on the website because we wanted the right coach to kid ratio. So we had over 100 kids learn legitimate soccer skills, gain some friendships. And what I love is each and every time they heard that God loves them, that they were created for a purpose. And, and actually that same week, some of us uh, organized the food pantry. If you don't know, what's really unique about the Queen Creek Junior High is it's also partnered with the Family Resource Center for the city. And so they help those families who are in need. And so their p- food pantry was not organized. And so we were able to put it all together by date and by kind and by color. I mean, it looks incredible now, and we look to keep doing that. Also, within the last 12 weeks, we catered Chipotle for the teachers and staff uh, the Friday after they came back from spring break, and it was a really great joy for me to represent you guys, to meet the teachers, to say, they're like, why would you do this? We're, We're just grateful for you. We want you to have some free food, and the hilarious thing is I grew up, I went here in junior high, and the same PE coach from, well, how many years ago was that? I'm going to age my, like 20 years ago, was the same one today. And so it was so great seeing him. And it has actually even developed really good relationships. Just uh, two days ago, I was at the Queen Creek Unified School District. They invited just a few key faith leaders to come and meet together and talk about how do we serve our communities and specifically our schools better. And because of the way we have just loved our community, I was invited into that room. All that to say, I love you and I'm really proud of you. Every week, we've had a band of brothers and sisters come together and set up on Saturdays from, from 2 to 5 p.m. and tear them down right after service. We've learned the trick called scuba drapes. See these drapes right here? It's all powered by magnets. We love magnets so much, we almost called ourselves the Magnet Church. You know, like we are just all about it. It's been great. Not to mention, and I'm almost done, record attendance on Easter Sunday. We had our first baptism. We've had ladies discipling ladies, doing reading plans together. We have men discipling other men, going out on adventures together. We have meal trains for those in need. In fact, my family, we enjoyed that last night. We received a meal from the Minahans. We're so grateful, and I hear there's another meal tonight. If, if not, I'm speaking it prophetically. <laughs> we got another meal tonight, and we've had people prayed over at this altar. I love you, and I'm really proud of you, and you have made preaching really difficult because there are three ways to preach, all right? 
And by the way, these sermon notes are online at passioncreek.church. Just hit the next steps button and hit that sermon notes icon. There are three ways to preach. Number one is to preach for information. And so this is actually how I was classically trained in my higher education. And here's what you do. And maybe you've been a part of this church, not bagging it at all. In fact, we need information. So please don't hear me wrong. But one way to preach is every week we go through a verse context in scripture. My job is to tell you the context of Jerusalem or who Isaiah was talking to or whatever book we're in. And then I talk about the main verbs and the nouns. I don't tell you that, but we point out, look at how this main verb is is communicating this main idea. And so we try to do that. In fact, we're going to do that today in John chapter 15. But you guys living out this lifestyle of Jesus, just hearing information is not enough. See, this type of preaching which again is, is good, all good and well. This type of preaching goes back thousands of years, but it stays there, right? You leave knowing a lot about Jerusalem, but you don't leave with the burden for Queen Creek, right? It's just knowing what's happening back there. The second way to preach, and I honestly wish I was better at this, is preaching for inspiration, You find a verse in the Bible, you tell three to five great stories, you make them laugh, you make them cry, everything's about getting an emotion. Beautiful communicators can do this, they get you real high and then real low and then high again and low again, and I watch it on YouTube and go, I wish I was like that, it's so good! But it's preaching just for inspiration. What happens when you create a church environment like this, you get just enough inspiration to last another six days. You gotta come back because you're hopeless by Friday, and get another encouraging word just to get you to last yet another. Now, I say you've made preaching more difficult because you're not going to settle for just information. You as a church, you don't even settle for just inspiration, which leads to the last way to preach. Something we're trying to do is to preach for transformation. What I've noticed within the culture of our church, specifically the last 12 weeks, you don't just want moments of love, joy, and peace. I really feel it after conversations with you. You want to become persons of love, joy, and peace. Like Dallas Willard, where he talks about when you get cut off, what's your natural instinct? To curse them or to bless them? That's when you know things are starting to change. You think, man, that guy's in a rush. Let's pray he gets there, right? What is your natural gut instinct? And we believe the way of Jesus can actually so seep from our head to our hearts to our hands that our knee-jerk reaction is that of love, is that of joy, and that of peace. And that makes preaching really difficult. It requires us to do nuance and cultural diagnosis. It requires poking and prodding. And I was talking to a pastor just the other day. When you try to preach for transformation, what's difficult, it's so easy to rally together, especially in the state of America today, to talk about all of the terrible sins that are out there. And we cheer, we're not like them. They're so terrible. But for transformation is no, we go, you know what? What we need to talk about more is the sins in this room repenting, churning from where we have gone astray, where we have had a spirit of pride and arrogance. And that's hard. And even more hard is that to preach for transformation, the biblical text is pretty obvious. The preacher himself has to live it out. I can't just give you information. I need to be making sure I'm living it. And Pastor Caleb and I were talking about it because we're looking at upcoming series like Simplicity. I'm like, oh no, now I got to go buy a dumb phone. Like if I'm going to tell you, let's be simple and minimal in our life. I got to get rid of this iPhone. Maybe we'll change the series. Um, But so information says learn it. And that's good. 
Inspiration says, love it. And that's fine too. But transformation says, learn it, then love it, and then live it. So each and every week, we're trying to do that. Learn the text. Love the invitation God has for you there. All right, what are we going to do this week to live this thing out? It's like learning golf. Like the way we have, and I'm almost done with this little shindig, uh, but, the, but the way we view church typically is like, think about it. it. I can watch golf videos all day long and learn about the perfect stroke and learn what it takes to putt. It's one thing to learn that on YouTube, but it's another to actually go out there and try it. And that's what we've been trying to do. So we're talking about Sabbath. Like, we want you to learn about it, but like, let's like do it. And we believe that is the step to transformation. But I want to look at today as we're in John chapter 15, even this theory of change has its limits. Even this idea of learning it and then loving it and then living it only gets you to a certain point. Let me show you what I mean. John chapter 15, um, Last week, Pastor Caleb did a great job in John 15, except for this like part about wearing a dress, but we can move on from that. Um, so I'm essentially, I have the photo. Come hang out with me after. It's on my phone. Uh, it's actually better looking than you'd think. Like when I hear the story, I go, oh, and then I go, oh, that's tasteful. And I can't believe I would say that, but uh, my dad's a cowboy and everything, but it was a tasteful way to wear a dress. Now, um, I'm going to essentially pick up where Pastor Caleb left off. He talked about how John 14 through 17 is the farewell discourse. And so essentially Jesus is moments away. What am I doing here? Informational preaching, okay? He is moments away from being handed over to be crucified. And so he's had this final moments with his crew, his 12 people that have done life together for the last three years. This is very intimate. This is Jesus not on some high horse giving command. No, he is like lovingly sharing a meal. Tears are flowing throughout these chapters. I mean, this, he is imparting encouragement and hopefully these disciples, which they eventually do, take these words to endure what's about to come, which is the horror of their Messiah being killed, but then the beauty of him being raised on the third day. And so John 14 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It talks about Jesus saying how, what the spirit is and the power that he brings. But then John 15, he goes into this illustration of the vine. We're going to read it together. I encourage you to listen to last week's message because Pastor Caleb literally used the word horticulture. I had to Google that. That's, uh, that's about plants, all right? And so he already explained all this in a way better detail. I'm super grateful for Pastor Caleb. It's the last time I'm going to give you a hard time today. All right, so verse 1, it says, I, this is Jesus speaking. If you have a red letter Bible, it's in red letters. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch of me that does not produce fruit, he removes... And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, Jesus knows his crowd. He knows his disciples. And this is a horticulture, an agrarian culture. And I think if he were to be here today and he were to speak on this stage, I think to make it easier for us, <coughs> excuse me, and even our kids, it would be like saying, Jesus is saying, look, I am the power strip, and you are the lamp that plugs into it, right? So you are incredible and have all sorts of power and can, can really change the world, but you're useless if you don't plug into the power strip. 
And Jesus is saying that kind of imagery to say, when you plug into me, which I hate that Christians have overused that, the whole plug, like join a group and it shows like a, a plug connecting to, we don't do that. But anyways, plug into the Lord. That's what he's saying here. That's, that's the takeaway of verses one through three. Look at verse four and five. Remain in me, or another word is abide, which I'm more of a fan of. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. Again, if you're not plugged into the power, it doesn't matter. Then to remind us, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing (coughs) without me. (coughs) This word is remain, it's abide, it's dwell. A lot of people actually really point at abide, also points to like, like an abode, like, like, a, like a, a, a home. And so actually Jesus uses the same language in Revelation, which we're going to be looking at Revelation throughout the summer. So starting June 4th, we're doing an 8 to 12 week series on the book of Revelation. So we're excited about that. But back to what this means, abide kind of has this sense, this of the theological term is synergism. You know what that means? Like, like the synergy but Jesus is saying, it's not 50-50, but he's saying, when you take steps towards me, I am certainly taking steps towards you. And when you surrender to me, there's this power that you get. It's this synergistic movement. And so God is so kind and so patient with us. If we don't lean in and ask for his power, he's not going to force it on us. He doesn't coerce it. He just says, okay, you don't want that? That's fine. I guess it's it's less joy for you. And so he's saying, remain, have this synergy happen. But verse six, if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. That's, some, that's a passage to wrestle with for a while. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Again, I think Caleb did a great job here. But what is fruit? I think the easiest way for me to remember this, it's both internal and external, okay? So Pastor Caleb really talked about the internal part last week. I'm just trying to prove that I listened to the sermon even though I wasn't here. Are we good? Have we we made that point? All right, so internal is fruit of the Spirit. So this is what we had talked about, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and (laughs) self-control. Grew up in church. I don't know. I was making a homeschool joke, but I wasn't homeschooled, so I got nothing. Now, what this is, is just you're embodying just this presence about you. When you abide in him, there is this overwhelming sense. It's your character that can withstand any storm. But another sense of this fruit is external. And so Paul uses the phrase fruit of the Spirit, but he also uses the phrase gifts of the Spirit. And so when you are connected to Jesus, your gifting, Holy Spirit gifts you something that contributes to a local church and to the kingdom of God. Things like wisdom. That's something my wife has in abundance. Things like counsel. Right? Some of you, I'm just so impressed. We have a lot of people in a lot of hurting situations, and I can only be on the phone so much, and there's just some incredible people in this room. I've seen you abide in Christ, and you just have the gift of listening and encouraging. We also have prophecy. One of my favorite things that happened in our Together group just uh, about a month ago, we had someone actually kind of speak a word over our group, over our church, and it like, it literally caused me to weep, and we just kind of stopped the whole Together guide and just had a moment together and prayed for that prophecy 
that, that picture that she had in her mind, we really felt like that was a word and we, when we wrestled with that, right? Miracles. We believe that God can still heal people today. Faith, right? So this fruit is internal and external. And that's really where we left off last week. And for years, I never preached the next two verses because it, I'm not going to lie, it didn't make sense to me. But these next two verses are where the money is at. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. First of all, don't skip past that. He is saying the same intensity that the Father has for the Son. Can anyone disagree? Of course, the Father loves Jesus Christ. Amen? Like, totally. He's literally perfect. So we, we all can agree. Of course, the Father loved the Son. He's saying that same energy... That same love is how much the Son loves you when you abide in Him. That's crazy, because I'm not as lovable as Jesus. I've done some things, right? And yet Jesus says, no, I love you. That's why this is called good news, not good advice. It's not advice for you to hurry up and do, and then you'll be lovable. No, you are already loved in Christ Jesus. Now, the next line, though, is more difficult. If, underline that word, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Do you get why I skip this when I preach usually? What do you mean if? If I do a good job, then you'll, what does this mean? Right? This sounds a whole lot like religion. I thought Christianity wasn't due. It's done right? It's not about anything you do. It's what Jesus done on the cross. And let me be clear. Yes and amen. So what does he mean here by if? First of all, this isn't about losing salvation, as Pastor Caleb mentioned last week, right? It's about being so intimately involved in loving the Father and, and being abiding in his home. There's a way to be in a home and not really enjoy it. And there's a way to be in the home and to relish it. So let's remember that. But again, it's hard because this passage sounds like we need to earn our salvation if we keep. But hear me, Jesus is teaching us a critical lesson on change, but we usually miss it. Here's the key idea for today. Keeping his commands doesn't earn me God's love, but it turns me to God's love. You let that sink in, that'll change your life. It doesn't earn me God's love, but it does churn me to God's love. Now, let me be clear before we go any further. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is that Jesus was born of a virgin Mary. This is important because it shows that he is fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect life, sinless, did everything perfect to the T, right? Then he died the death that you and I deserve to die, hanging on the cross, paying the penalty of our sin, God's wrath poured out on Jesus so that you and I don't receive the wrath that we rightfully deserve because of our sin and transgression. So on the cross, Jesus took that penalty. Then he was buried and he rose again on the third day, showing he has defeated sin. He has defeated its power, its penalty, and its presence in our life. He has defeated Satan. Satan no longer has control. And he has defeated death itself. Death no longer has the final word because of the resurrection of Jesus. And after some time, Jesus ascended again to the right hand of the Father. He is daily interceding for us today. And one day he will come back again. When will that happen? 
Come in June, we're talking about Revelation. Now, that's the gospel. You need to believe that, and you're good. So, hear me. You don't become a child by behaving. No, but by believing. You don't get into the house. You don't get saved by achieving salvation. No, it's by receiving salvation. So, again, how does this make sense? This conversation, hear me, in John 15, is not for those outside of the house on how to get in. His conversation in John 15 are for those who are already in the family. You see that? We miss this when we think everything's just about getting saved. Now, it's the main thing, but there's also other things once you're in here. And so this is what we need to lean into. Abiding, keeping his commands. You're already in his house. Your eternity is already secure. But there is a way to live where you are constantly opening up your heart, your mind, your body to the love of God to come on you and also through you to others. Keeping his commands does not earn me God's love, but it turns me to God's love. So now, for us to be faithful in this text, we have to ask the next question. What commands do we keep? The Old Testament's pretty confusing, right? Am I supposed to shave my head? Am I not allowed to do this, that, or the other? Can I not have ham, right, and pork? And so there's a lot to do here. There's a lot of commands in Scripture. We believe some of it is not for us. Starting next week, we're doing a whole four weeks on formed by Scripture. And so we're going to look at that. What parts do we apply and not apply? So stay with us. Come next week. We can answer some of those questions. But some of us is for, some of these commands are for every generation. And so that's why we as a church, if you go to formedbyjesus.com, this is like the, the hub for where you and I are talking about how to practice the commands of Jesus. And so for Passion Creek, there's a lot of commands. We, we should have done 10, but I guess that's more of what, that's what God does. So we're doing nine. So there's nine commands that we see clearly in Scripture that we think is good for our cultural moment here in Queen Creek to apply. So if you go to the website right now, formedbyjesus.com, Sabbath was number one. We just did it. Bravo. Number two is Scripture. And then in the fall will be simplicity and then generosity, fasting, hospitality, justice, praying, and story. So to probably three-year journey, we're going to look at these nine commands, and we are praying that it seeps into our DNA. Four weeks teaching on it, eight weeks having testimonies and making it our everyday life, and then stacking the next practice up. Are you with me? Does that make sense? I'm feeling very encouraged. Y'all are so talkative, all right? So... For three months, we talked about what? Keeping the Sabbath, keeping the command of Sabbath. Let's look again, Exodus 20, 8 through 10, just a brief overview. Remember the Sabbath day to keep, that's the same word keep that we see in John 15, to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So what does this mean? We are keeping Sabbath, not to earn God's love, but to what? To churn to God's love that was already yours. Allow me a brief overview of what we've talked about the last three months, okay? There are four ways you and I keep the Sabbath holy and take his command to rest. Number one is to stop. So I love the stories that you guys have been sharing about stopping. What do we do? Essentially, we stop working, we stop wanting, and we stop worrying for 24 hours every week. So we've really found it's crucial to pick a time and stick to it. It's not once X, Y, and Z are done, then I will Sabbath. And so that's why we've been saying pick a time. Uh, 
a lot of people pick sunset or sunrise, and now that starts the clock for the next 24 hours. We're stopping our normal work day of life, and we are going to introduce ourselves to this concept of rest. Now, this week it came in clutch. And so for me and my family, we've actually decided Friday morning is now the new rhythm for us. For a lot of other reasons, I could talk to you after if you want, but we just really found that's a good rhythm. Now, this was hard because Friday afternoon, Jordan's surgery was scheduled this week, and I kept thinking, do I move this Sabbath around, or do we just deal with it? We just decided Friday morning when it started, hey, today's Sabbath, because it comes. We're not going to be the one to change it, right? We're supposed to stop, and so we're going to stop. And so we got our kids, we're, my, uh, my, my mom, we call her Lolly, uh, she got to go, she took the kids, and so it's me and her, we're trying to be restful, but we're pretty anxious about the surgery. We get a phone call that the surgery was moved to Saturday morning, and so we praised the Lord and then said, can we not tell my mom for a while so we can like enjoy time together? And that's what we did, all right? And so we went, and uh, we were like, we're Sabbathing, we were already planning on this, but Sabbath just got a whole lot better. And so we did all the things that we have learned over the, for us, the last few, like maybe three or four or five years of Sabbathing, and we just pleasure stacked all of it, right? We, we stopped worrying. We literally told ourselves, let's not think about the surgery. Let's not worry about anything. Let's just enjoy the day and keep it holy. And to be honest, we entered Saturday morning with so much more peace. Wouldn't, that, wouldn't you agree? Just so much more just gratefulness about, hey, God has us. We're going to do this. I say we. <laughs> My poor wife had to do it. I was just sitting there. But God was really gracious in that. And if you remember, I need to keep going, but if we don't voluntarily stop, something else will make us stop. Remember Wayne Moeller, the quote, he says, if we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, illness becomes our Sabbath. Our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack, our accidents create Sabbaths for us. It's in the rhythm of creation. God designed us to stop. Hear me. Not so that we earn God's love, but so that you and I churn to God's love. This Hebrew word is Shabbat, meaning Sabbath. And not only can be translated literally as stop, but also rest. And that's number two. Rest. We rest for 24 hours to resist the tyranny of hurry. If you remember in Exodus 20, we told, we were talking about God told us to stop on the seventh day in Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments because God stopped. And so we follow the rhythm of creation. But then we learn in Deuteronomy 5 that Ten Commandments are written again, but Moses, well, God says, okay, here's the reason to Sabbath, not just to stop, but it's to rest, it's to remember you're not in Egypt anymore. You're not a slave anymore. You don't have to listen, you don't have to bear the yoke of oppression and slavery. And Pharaoh still lives today, as we talked about just a few weeks ago, right? Or months ago at this point. Pharaoh wants you to work more, have more, do more, be more, use more at a way faster pace. And so once a week, we say enough's enough. For 24 hours, we slow down our pace of life. Why? Because we believe we block the Holy Spirit when we walk in a hurried spirit. And so we rest. If you use your mind all week, rest with your body. Go outdoors. If you use your body all week, we have some framers in the house. Don't go outside and work. Chill inside, right? Read. Do something with your mind. Now, does this make you earn God's love? No, but it makes space to turn to God's love. <clears throat> A few more. The third word we said was stop, rest, and then delight. Delight. 
kind of the main phrase we were talking about is we are a people acquainted with grief and yet anointed with gratitude. And so some of my favorite things we've been doing as a Sabbath community is having people over. And if you remember this phrase, day inu at dinner, which essentially means let's get together, let's have dinner, and then let's thank God for what he's doing. And so day inu works this way. You say, man, it would have been enough that we had food, but God outdid himself. And now we also have dessert, right? It would have been enough if this great thing. And so we thank God for that thing. But then we say, God even did even more than that and gave us this other thing as well. I remember one time I told our Sabbath community, it's been enough that you guys are friends, but God outdid himself, and you guys are now family. We love you, right? We do this to delight in God, and that's, again, on Friday, this is what me and Jordan did. We had so much stress, but we said, you know what? We have grief, but today's a day of gratitude, and we pleasure stacked to the joy of the Lord, right? And we had sushi, and it was wonderful, and praise God, my wife likes sushi now. She did it for many years, but we all can be saved, amen? So I'll ask again. Does delighting on the Sabbath earn God's love? But it turns you to it. That's a pretty big deal. Last one is worship. We dedicate 24 hours to give God glory in solitude and in community. And solitude for me looks like reading my Bible and then taking a long walk with God all alone because I love being introverted. But it also means in community. We bring friends over. We praise God together. We literally have music playing in the background. We just mention the ways that God has been good to us. Now, does worshiping God on the Sabbath make you a legalist? It could. Don't do that. That's lame, right? More than that, it can make you a lover. You can make it all about rules and go over the top and forget the whole purpose, but or you just don't have to do that. But I still feel the fear in the room, and I want to acknowledge that. The last thing we want to do, I, I really want us to practice Sabbath, and we're closing a chapter. We're going to talk about Scripture next week. I'm praying we keep Sabbathing together. But here's what I noticed, and this passage helps us fight it. But for many of us, some of us, we did Sabbath for a little while, and we've stopped. And here's why. Because we wanted to, one, learn about Sabbath, which we've done. The second thing we all did was we wanted to really love the Sabbath. So that was like my primary job during the Sabbath series. This is great. It's wonderful. You're going to love it. I love it. This is amazing. You're going to love it. Did you know it helps you live 12 years longer? Did you? Why would I do that? I wanted you to love it, right? I'm sharing all the data about how good it is because it's true. And then once you loved it, what'd you do? You lived it. Okay, I learned about it. Now I know what to do. Okay, you convinced me. This sounds pretty amazing. All right, I'm going to do it. But we miss the point here sometimes. What is, let's read verse 10 again. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Here's what this is saying. If you live it, you will love it. You see that? So for for so long, and baby Christians, this is how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to first learn it, and then you need to be convinced, and you need to love it, and then you need to live it. But there is some time in our process of maturity where there will come a time for you to grow and lean even more into the love of God, you learn it, then you live it, and then you love it. That's on the next slide. Learn it, then live it, then love it. For so long, we have this paradigm of discipleship of learning, loving, and then living, but there will come a time, and maybe the invitation to you today is to learn it, live it, 
and then you will love it. Think about the context here in John 15. He's speaking to a group of disciples who have been maturing for three years. He is done trying to make them love it first. He's saying, no, now you just need to live it. And as you keep living it, you're going you're gonna to love it. But it comes before, not after. You see what I'm saying here? Look, it, here's what this means. If we don't ever live it before we love it, we're serving pleasure more than we're serving God. If we'll only do it if it feels good to us, we're actually worshiping what feels good to us, not worshiping what God has told us to do. My spiritual director, quickly, he spotted this tendency in me a few years ago. I, uh, I love to do something. I go all out if I love it. If I don't love it anymore, I'm done. Anybody else like that, right? The problem is everything has dry seasons. Everything, there's going to be a time where it's not as fun. And so I actually noticed a trend. Um, I Sabbath hard. In 2018, 19, I Sabbath like crazy for about 18 months. I like to blame COVID, but also just, I just stopped, right? Also for me, fasting. I was looking at pictures of myself just a few years ago. I was like, how was I so skinny? I was like, what did I do wrong? What's happened? And I was talking to Jordan last week, and I was like, oh, I fasted twice a week. I just stopped. I, I, fasting changed my life, and I haven't done it since. Why? The list can go on of things I've started and then stopped. And I fear as I lead that way, our people are going to do that as well. He told me two things. Number one, he's like 85-year-old man. He says, first of all, Trey, boys do what they want to do. Men do what they need to do. I was like, man up. I get it. All right. Like, he called me out. So that was great. Felt great about myself. But the second thing he said, he sat there and paused for a long time. So long, I thought, did he forget what we're talking about? You know, like one of those like long pauses. Do I just bring up a next conversation? And he said, Trey, it sounds like to me there's an area in your life that you won't let God love you in. So you Sabbath for 18 months. God brings up that thing he wants to love you in, but you have to bring it to him and instead of you taking that next step and bringing it to him, you just stop Sabbathing altogether and go to the next practice until that thing gets brought up again, and you just move on to the next one. That's so true. His, his call to me was, here's two things you need to do, Trey. Number one, you need to pray every morning, every night, Lord, open my heart to trust your love. Number two, he said, do that while you're fasting. Do that while you're Sabbathing, while X, Y, and Z, those things fill in the blank. And a few months of doing this helped my stubborn brain and heart realize I didn't stop Sabbath because I was tired of earning God's love. I stopped Sabbath because I didn't feel worthy to turn to God's love. And that's where God wanted to meet me. And I just wonder how many of us in this room, we kind of stopped already, thinking all these excuses, it was too hard, I didn't get it, I don't love it. But what if actually... You unconsciously know it's an invitation to be loved by God, and that terrifies you. And so you've stopped. So now every week for me, I discipline myself and my family. We stop, we rest, we delight, we worship. It's fun, it's incredible, but I make myself do it because I am declaring God's love over my life even when I feel like I don't deserve it, even when I feel like I haven't earned it. I am declaring that over me. Why? This verse, I love how Emily said it. We have to say it over our hearts over and over again. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. Let's read a similar statement from Romans. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's look at John 15. Eugene Peterson paraphrase. It says, Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. Kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. 
And I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. I just want us to end to imagine together as a community, what if we, as Passion Creek Church, and I love you and I'm proud of you and we've gone incredible steps so far, but what if we became a community whose joy was wholly mature? We believe the way to do that is to do these practices and to do them together, right? By the grace of God and by the patience of our community, we stumble together doing these practices, not because we're trying to earn God's love. No, no, no. We are declaring it is ours in Christ Jesus. We are his beloved. We're getting together doing these things to keep reminding our stubborn hearts that God loves you. He loves you so much he died for you. He is so kind and compassionate. Not only has he forgiven you, but he's given you power to be transformed, to, to live the life that God always designed you to live. God loves you. And I can say this over and over from the pulpit, and I try to. God loves you. There's a plan for you. God has done all this for you. Don't worry about your sin. It's as far as the east is from the west. For those who believe in Jesus Christ, we hear this every single week, and I think we have to. But if you're thinking, I know that he loves me, but I don't know that he loves me. I'm not living in that love. Pick up Sabbath. Because for 24 hours once a week, you're telling your heart, God loves me, and so I don't have to work. God loves me, so I don't have to worry. God loves me, so I don't have to want another person's life. God has me where I'm at, and every week I am declaring to my soul, God, you are good, and I am loved. I just wanted to end this way, because I want to make it clear. The last thing we want you to do is to try to earn God's love. But the main thing we want you to do is to keep churning to it. So let's Sabbath together. I want us to leave room right now for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. And I want us to reflect two ways. One, ask yourself this question right now. Not, don't ask yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit this. Holy Spirit, what is something I've learned but haven't yet lived? Ask him right now. Maybe it's Sabbath. It's kind of been obnoxious to be at Pasture Creek because we just talk about it all the time. Maybe the invitation is the Sabbath this week. What's the invitation? I feel the Lord stirring. Maybe for some of you, God is saying it's salvation. You've learned he's died for you. You've learned he rose again, that he has a plan for you. You've learned all this. But you haven't lived it, meaning you haven't received it. You haven't gone forward and said, yes, that's mine. Maybe today just take it. Take the gift. Maybe it's confession. I don't know. We probably all have all different answers. But Holy Spirit, what is something we have learned but have not yet lived? 
And lastly, I want us to say this to Jesus. Lord Jesus, open my heart to trust your love. 